It's a tremendous privilege and blessing for us to be here. We love you all. Uh, We're sorry for the circumstances, but thankful for the privilege of this time and for the privilege to be praying with the Bilers. I'm thankful for their testimony. Uh, And then as Nathan was sharing regarding his boss, it's the testimony of a man of God, faithful at work. As we pray for others, as we pray for different situations, so often we're praying God, asking God to work or to do a certain thing, which we ought to pray for, but God is faithful. The la- when we think something's not happening, it's not because God is not working, it's not because God's not faithful, it's because of the rebelliousness and the stubbornness of men. And... Sometimes our lives become the stumbling block to fuel that stubbornness when God is faithful and working, but because our lives are not where they ought to be, that we create that uh, barrier for the help to give an excuse for that barrier that is there for them. Appreciated the song this morning as well. Uh, I've told our children that if the rapture doesn't come first and I go home to be with the Lord before the rapture, that uh, during the memorial or whatever's going on, I want them to sit there thinking that for the first time, Dad's singing with a perfect voice, praises to his God. Uh, I wish that I could sing. And it's appropriate for where we're going this morning, Psalm 95, if you want to be turning there, because the first aspect of it is, Oh, come let us sing unto the Lord. We're approaching, we are in Thanksgiving season. Every day is a day of Thanksgiving for the saints. We're in Thanksgiving season, approaching Christmas, the time that we remember and celebrate in a very special way the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're also living in a day that uh, many aspects of government are trying to ban singing. Uh, I guess in some states, if you're singing in your house, you'd have to have a mask on, or it's illegal even in those states because they're telling you you have to have a mask in your own house in those particular states. I do believe the potential is that we could be very close to the uh, what Daniel experienced that they were looking in the window to see if he was worshiping his God. And I do believe we could be very close to those days in our own country. But you know, for the saint, we'd have hearts of thanksgiving every day, regardless the circumstances or regardless what's going on. And the struggle this old man has sometimes is when you see this, when you see these things that we have enjoyed so much and see the deceitfulness that's being used, the blindness that's being used to destroy them. And sometimes the struggle is, how can we be thankful? God is God. He's still on his throne. And we realize that God hates sin. And if he has chosen that this is the time to bring a chastening in an intense manner upon this land, upon the world, because of the rebelliousness and the sin that we see so prevalent, we ought to all the more sing with thanksgiving to our God for our salvation, for His holiness, His righteousness, and that He does judge sin. You know, we ought to be thankful that He does judge sin. Without that, could there be any conviction brought upon a heart to come to repentance? And then ultimately the very holiness of God would be defiled if he did not bring judgment upon sin. This is Thanksgiving 
weekend, this weekend and next weekend. When we lived in Canada, the Canadians' Thanksgiving is the same as our Columbus Day, the first month or second Monday in October, whatever that is. But they always talked about how Thanksgiving was so much bigger of an event in the United States than it was in Canada. It really is. Traditionally, it is a much bigger event, much greater family time. And even if you take Black Friday out of it, uh, it is a much bigger thing. I can live, I've lived long enough. I remember when Black Friday was not an event, that it was Thanksgiving weekend. And it was a time of Thanksgiving, not a time of sales and shopping for the whole thing. But this particular psalm, when Brother Byler called Thursday morning and asked uh, if we could come, if I, come over, um, we were keeping our three grandsons Thursday, Thursday night, and Friday. It's the first time we've gotten to keep them overnight. Uh, and Jim said, well, you can go on Thursday night. Brother Byler said, no, we'll get Brother Howard or somebody uh, to do it. You stay there. And it was a fantastic time. We slept well Friday night as well. Uh, and but as I was praying in preparation for the messages for today, Psalm 95, uh, our first uh, Thanksgiving after we were married, we were married October 27th, 1984, and then that Thanksgiving we drove to Ohio with my sister for family uh, gathering up there, but the three of us memorized Psalm 95 on the way up. And it's been a thanksgiving psalm from my heart ever since that time that uh, I refresh periodically through the year. But it's one that I go back to every thanksgiving. It gives us a great deal of insight as how we ought to properly give thanks unto God and to worship God. Just a brief outline that we're going to be looking at. It gives us a command to worship God. In verses 1 and 6, we're told how we are to worship God. We're given the substance of what worship truly is. God gives a warning to all generations. And then in the closing, he brings all that together with giving, reminding of a history. And one of the reasons I wanted to come back to this one today is we're losing history. We're losing history regarding what is Thanksgiving. I can remember in the 90s, some friends of ours went up to uh, Boston area for a history vacation with their sons. And they said that the National Park Service in the 90s under the Clinton administration were changing out plaques regarding the pilgrims and some of the settling, trying to remove some of the religious heritage of the settling of that part of the country. I'm reading America in Crimson Red right now and then another book on the regulators that Jeremy has lent to me. Jeremy Wright has lent to me. The regulators were right there in the area where we live now. Things that I had never heard before. Yet it's really the foundation of the history for our nation being where we are today. One of the things that it remind, or makes me think is reading the persecution that really took place for the Baptists in the early history of our nation. If we're going to stand faithful like our forefathers did, we may be seeing some of those same persecutions right around the corner. We need to be teaching history that the younger generations will know what we have instead of being deceived. And so many are led in blindness and darkness because they have been taught. I had the privilege of going to Clemson University for my undergraduate and graduate degrees. I was the first person in my family ever to go to college. 
and then worked for the university for a number of years after I got out of grad school and really thought I wanted to work for the university the rest of my life. There are things that were appealing about it. The older I get, the more thankful I am for the day that God removed us from that town and from that university and from that area. And we ought to be concerned and broken to realize what our young people and our young adults in our nation are being taught. And sometimes, and we're all prone, I, I, it goes back to what Brother Howard said this morning. We look at it, think everybody looks at things the way we do, and we look at it through our perspective. From my perspective, I'm fearful that there's been too many years of just uh, smugness of saying, well, that's the liberal academic class instead of there really being an awareness of the danger. Not just the danger to my political freedom, but the danger of what it's done to harden and to blind the eyes of so many people to not even be able to perceive truth or to understand truth, to absolutely reject it. And a great deal of our society that are around us, they will fight to the end for what they believe because they've been taught all of their lives and their eyes and minds have been darkened. And we need to realize that for everyone that is here today that knows the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, that really we ought to consider it a humbling privilege that God would have chosen us to be the generation to serve Him for this time in His history. And in doing that, we need to guard our hearts that we have a heart of thanksgiving. Brother Howard taught on the opposite, and this is a total opposite. There's either the root of bitterness or there's a heart of thanksgiving. There's no in-between ground. As soon as thanksgiving is lost, you've already started sowing and cultivating that root of bitterness, and it's going to continue to grow until it's rooted out and turned back to the heart of thanksgiving. As we look at this psalm this morning, I want us to look at God's instruction through His servant David for some of the aspects for us to have the right heart to be able to thank God. And that's with a spirit of worship and praise, not what the world calls worship and praise or praise and worship, but what God instructs us, what honors Him, what pleases Him. And in doing that, it also encourages the saints around us and it strengthens us in our own lives. If you're able, if you would please stand and follow along with me as I read Psalm 95 out loud. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is His also. The sea is His, and He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, 
is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. Let's pray, please. Father, how thankful we are for the privilege that we have to be gathered here together today as a body to be able to come before thy throne with the singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, songs of thanksgiving, songs of praise for who you are, for what you have done and what you have promised to do. Father, for the privilege that we've had today already to sit under the teaching of thy word and now to be able to come to thy word again during this very special time. Father, we thank you that your word is forever settled in heaven and that you've allowed us to have it soundly translated into our own language and have copies of our own to read and to study. And now to be able to come publicly together for the time of worshiping thee through the preaching of thy word. As we enter this special season that we have so many traditions uh, that we love, special memories, uh, special events that are going on. Father, I pray that you'd help us to guard our hearts and our minds, that we would not allow the thanksgiving, the praise, the honor, and the worship that ought to be given unto Thee to be diminished in any way. But, Father, that we would turn our hearts to Thee rather than to the world, rejoicing in who You are and what You have done. I pray that as we look at this psalm this morning written by Thy servant David, Father, I pray that you would help us to be reproved, rebuked, and exhorted as we need in our lives to be able to grow, to be able to stand in a way that would honor thee. In Jesus' name we thank thee and we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Our culture today espouses a lot of other things to be worshipped than what God teaches to be worshipped. Um, we have a neighbor that is a widow that's a pastor, and her sister is the praise and worship pastor uh, for their church. Some concerns already as we hear that. We don't know what the praise and worship is, but we know what it is in so many churches. Philippians 3.19, Paul wrote, Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. And that's what so much of what is called worship or praise and worship is today. It's their belly. It's the things that excite the emotions rather than being the things that of a pure heart are honoring and pleasing unto God. And we want to guard our own hearts and our own minds to be sure, as this uh, psalm instructs us on the matter of worshiping God, that we do it in a right manner. David wrote in Psalm 24, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? For who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. And here we give some uh, answers to the matter regarding worship. That it's a matter of going up. It's not a matter of bringing God down to us. It's a matter of us turning from the world and going to God. And that's what we see here in the commands that are given to us that we're going to look at in Psalm 95. Not bringing God down to us to be common with man and to be a part of us. And he said, Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? In the holy place of God. And that matter of 
when David was writing of who shall stand in his holy place, it was not a matter of exalting oneself of I'm so great or because of who I am that I'm standing before God, but to look at it under the understanding that David would have had, what the Israelites would have had to stand before somebody was the evidence, first of all, of one that was either a servant or it was a one uh, the a situation of honoring the person that they were before. But this matter of standing before the servants would come and they would stand before the king. The queen of Sheba wrote regarding Solomon, Happy are thy men, happy are thy servants which stand continually before thee. And that gives us an insight of who shall stand in his holy place, in the holy place of God. We think of it as something exalted if there's the standing there. Instead of understanding it was the servant standing before the one that was far greater than they are. And when we come to worship God, it has to be with the understanding that humility uh, that we are coming uh, before God as servants, as ones uh, that are worthy of nothing. And in verse 4 of Psalm 24, he said, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn, sworn deceitfully, he that hath clean hands. And that's a picture, it's a poetic that's been written there. It's not somebody that just washed their hands. Uh, try to get three grandsons to wash their hands before something. It's a matter of how much water can they splatter and then we do the crane and put the towel up under their arms to carry them into the table or something like the crane. And there may, may still be dirt or it ended up on the towel. That's not what is being said here. Uh, cleaner hands would be a matter of works. But he that hath clean hands is one whose life, their outward life, is one of practical holiness. One whose life bears testimony of holiness before God. When I was a student at Clemson uh, in the early 70s, uh, it was still a whole lot more conservative than uh, what would be considered very conservative today. But unfortunately, a lot of good Baptist, Southern Baptist, and the feeling was you could do whatever you wanted Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, as long as you were in church on Sunday morning. And the church wasn't one that preached the gospel. It was a big Southern Baptist church. And they would go, they'd be cleaned up, shaved and everything, cleaned up to go to church. And everything was fine. No, when he said, he that hath clean hands, it's one whose life bears testimony of that outward holiness. One who's, because of the inward part of the heart, the working in the heart, their life bears that testimony. And as we come to worship God for, as we come on Sundays, for Thanksgiving or in our daily lives, we need to check out our hearts, check out our lives. Are there areas in your life that you realize are not bearing an outward testimony of the holiness of God? If so, then you're not coming with clean hands, as David was writing there, and a pure heart, a heart that's been purged from hypocrisy from inward filthiness, a heart that is a continual renewing from the renewing of the mind. It's not a matter of flipping the switch from today or to now of what I am right now, but it's one to be able to come and to worship God who has taken care of those things. An unsaved person cannot worship God no matter how hard they try or what they do. But the Christian whose life has not been faithful in the matter of repenting, confessing sin that they know in their life, 
and being faithful in God's Word to have the enlightening of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, there's not a one of us here that's going to reach sinless perfection until we get to heaven. So it's a daily thing of having, we need to be seeking for God's understanding. What is the area in my life I need to be repenting of, that I need to be working of? And then, who has, hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity? In other words, somebody that is not involved in idolatry. So you don't have any idols sitting in the house, but what is it that you spend all of your time thinking about? And every one of us in here, there are things that you enjoy, hobbies, family, your house, a project you're working on, that if we're not careful, we have to stop and set that aside, don't we? To think on the things of God. And it's even possible during devotions or during prayer time that the mind slips back to those things instead of God being in first place and setting those things aside. Nor sworn deceitfully. That's not deceitful or lying. That's not compromising. So as we come to this psalm for a matter of worship and praise and giving thanks to God, we need to realize it's not just a matter of, okay, it's Thanksgiving or it's Sunday, but we need to make sure that our hearts have been prepared, that our lives are prepared, and it's a daily thing. And then as we come into this psalm, the first thing I want us to look at is God's command to worship God. Sometimes there are things that we become a little uh, fuzzy on, even about what is worship. And sometimes we get away from that because there's so much perversion of the terms and other movements around us, not scriptural movements, but other movements. So we're a little hesitant to say, well, we worship God or we're going to praise and worship God today because it sounds like that God's commanded us to. We need to use the terms that God's used in commanding us, but we also need to understand what those terms are and to protect those terms, not only in our own lives, but in the instructing of others as well. There's only two commands in this whole psalm. And when I'm studying Scripture, this Bible I got about a year, year and a half ago, but I decided in this Bible that I'm going to use green, and the only time I'm going to use green is when there's a command, an imperative in the original languages, and I underline that command so when I go through I can look and see what are the commands, because all of God's Word is given for instruction, but you know when there's a command, I really need to listen up really quick, don't I, because that command is integral before I can understand or before I can implement the other things that are given into God's Word. There's only two commands that are given to us in this entire psalm. The first one are the first two words, O come. He said, O come, let us sing unto the Lord, O come. And the term that is used there literally means to meet or to go in front of. So here again is the instruction to us. Worship is not bringing God down to be with us. It's that we are to come before God, to come in front of God to worship Him when we're singing to Him that we're the ones that need to turn and to come to Him. And then the second command that's given to us is in verse 6, the same words in our English, O come, O come let us worship and bow down. And here, it's a different word, very similar meaning. It means to enter or to come into the present, to come, to come into the presence of God. So when we come to worship God, it's not us all getting together for some special time and God coming down to be with us. And I know our intentions, I know what we mean when we say it. 
Oh God, meet with us today. Is it not that, oh man, prepare my heart and come to God today to worship Him and to be with Him? So the commands have been given to us down through the ages that we are to come before God to worship Him. And He gave us the instruction of how to worship. Again, because we have these seeker-friendly churches and you know we're, we're so caught up on sales methods and techniques and all that, we look to see how we can get people in. But no, as we realize we're turning to God and we need to understand how we are to worship God, the preparation of my heart, and then as I come before Him. And the first aspect that we see here is let us sing unto the Lord. Very basic command followed up by uh, this matter of let us sing unto the Lord. And the way that it is written here, it literally means something that is intentional, that keeps on going. It's not let's just sing on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Thursday night. Let's not just sing when we get together, but it's a continual let us be singing unto God, something that goes on and on that we repeat over and over again. And it's not something that's silent. The word that's translated here, let us sing, literally means uh, to cry in joy. Now, some of you would say that may be what my singing sounds like, cry. You may not hear the joy, but it sounds like a crying. But the word here that's translated, let us sing, literally means to praise or to cry in joy. Let us praise God. And when we're singing, that's what it ought to be. It was, we heard the special this morning. What was the whole thing then? It was singing unto God because of who He is and what He was done, has done for us, isn't it? The world doesn't understand what joy is, yet when we see here, this even gives us an understanding of what singing is. It's an outpouring of the heart of joy, of praise to God. Does your heart have an outpouring of praise to God? It's something that ought to be going on throughout our lives, not just when we're gathered together. It's something that really ought to be going on at home, at work, when we're in transit, wherever we are, that it ought to be a part of what's going out. It also serves as a protection for us because it's keeping our focus on praising God and who He is. So let us sing unto the Lord and so specifically here, we're not singing to entertain other people. We're not singing here for the benefit of other people. It's unto God. I don't know. I've never seen it happen here. Uh, I don't know that it occurs here. If it does, I don't know the background behind it. I don't mean a wrongful offense from my perspective, though. It concerns me when in churches and somebody sings or place special afterward and the congregation does this afterward uh, because it's so even if it's not the intention it's so easy at that point to have turned the focus from the praise to God to the honoring the one and then for especially for others that come in it becomes a matter of entertainment of, they were entertained by that instead of it being a praise of worship unto God, uh, given unto God. So the first aspect is let us sing unto the Lord. And then the next aspect that we see here in the psalm, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. 
that matter of making a joyful noise. And this is a shout of applause. Amen? Is would be an example of that. Uh, because, you know, when I say amen in a message, it's from my heart. Sometimes I'm saying it before I realize I've said it out loud uh, that I'm saying it, but it's an applause for the truth of the Word of God that has just been spoken. And when it says, let's make a joyful noise to the rock of our shout, salvation, it's a shout. It's not the charismatic confusion, but it's a shout of applause. And again, this is not just in the worship service. It's daily in our lives, continually in our lives. And then to the rock of our salvation, the cliff or the refuge, that one that we can run to, that is our refuge, that's our place of safety and protection. And I hope as you hear these words spoken that it will help you to understand the equipping for today, not just for Thanksgiving, but the equipping for what's going on right now in our lives and in our country. When we come in here, we don't come in with our heads in a hole. We're coming in here with the reality that God is God, and we want to be equipped for living in the days in which we're living. So is God truly the rock of your salvation? When I say that, I don't mean just for your salvation of your soul for eternity, but is he the refuge and the cliff that you dwell upon for your safety? for the protection of your life on a daily basis, for the protection of your mental well-being on a daily basis, because we can get drugged down really quickly if we don't guard ourselves. And then he said in verse 2, Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Uh, so again, let us come uh, to him and this is not a command that's uh, given to us right here. It's literally something that means it's intentional and it's ongoing. It's uh, not a command, but something that's an aspect of our life that we're intentionally and continually coming before His presence with thanksgiving. What is thanksgiving? We have Thanksgiving holiday. We say we're thankful to people. We're thankful for different things. Have you ever stopped to think, what is Thanksgiving? And here, again, we have to be careful because we can turn Thanksgiving into something that it's all about me, isn't it? Which is really the opposite of what Thanksgiving is. The term that's translated Thanksgiving here literally means adoration and praise. So when we think about the matter of Thanksgiving, it's adoring and appraising the one that has been so gracious to us. The one that has done such powerful, mighty things. It's not about me. Thanksgiving is about the one who has uh, been such a great benefactor that has done such great and mighty things for me. And make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. And psalms, songs. We keep coming back to the matter of music, the matter of singing. That making the joyful noise, the... Uh, the calling out, uh, but doing it with psalms, with singing. I, I'm not a conspiratorist. So I don't believe I am anyway. Uh, I think I'm a realist. I try to be a realist. I think that's what a Christian ought to be because all reality is based right here. But I 
there's no coincidence that singing is one of the things that they're trying to put a stop to, some of the government entities and what is going on. When they're singing, there's joy from the heart that's being expressed, and there's praise to God. And if there's a trying to subdue, a trying to suppress, to discourage, then there would be the matter of trying to suppress also singing. Make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. And here it's literally with accompanied with musical instruments. If you're feeling, and again, brother, however, we're talking about it this morning, with the matter of David going before Saul, God was the only one that could help Saul's spirit. But music could be used toward that end. Music is used to encourage our hearts as well as in the aspect. So if we're honoring God in this way, making a joyful noise unto him with psalms, we're honoring God. We're saying thanksgiving to God. We're encouraging others that are around us uh, and encouraging our own hearts. So here we see how it is we're to worship God. And it's with, again, the heart being prepared and being right, but there's an outpouring of the heart, isn't it, of going before God with the adoration, the praise, with the singing unto Him. As we get together for Thanksgiving dinner, um, I'm not the one that's going to be leading singing, but I will be singing uh, as we sit together uh, in our living room of praises to God. And thanks our grandsons have parents that are musical. They can correct them where Grandpa corrupts. Uh, not just on singing, but when we try to spoil them a little bit here and there too. So what, that's a matter of what it is. Now what is the substance of how we are to worship him, but the substance of worship it's not man-centered entertainment, uh, but it's literally when we're worshiping God, the true worship of God is exalting Him for who He is, for what He has done. And really in the matter of our prayer lives, our personal prayer lives, if we're not spending time for praising God for who He is before we even start thanking Him for things or making requests, we're falling short and we're soon going to get our eyes off of who God is. And the psalmist here uh, really turned his focus then as to who God is. Verse 3, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is His also. The sea is His and He made it and His hands formed the dry land. And then we're going to look down another portion. But as we look at this cluster of verses right here, one of the first things that I want us to realize as David was praising God and worshiping God, he acknowledged Him as the Creator. I do not believe an individual can get saved, can truly be born again, without believing that in the beginning God created in six literal days, as God's Word says. Because if they cannot believe that, they're not believing the Word of God to start with. They're not believing God for who He is. When we go to the Gospel of John, the focus of the Gospel of John is on the matter of our Savior, on the matter of salvation. And what does it beginning? In the beginning. And we have to go. And really, in witnessing to people, that's where we need to go so often with people, is to back to in the beginning, that they have an understanding of who God is. Because if they don't understand who God is, why are they going to submit themselves in repentance and to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. 
And that's what David has pointed to right here in this matter of worshiping and praising God. The very first thing he did in this portion is dealing with the matter of him being the creator. He said, for the Lord is a great God. And is a great is one word. And then God is one word. And I've had somebody ask me, well, it says a great God, so it means there's more than one God. No, there is only one God. There are false gods. But, and for us to understand, but literally that Jehovah is, the, the term is a great God is one of intensity. It's one of importance. That he is so important, that he is so intense and in realizing how great God is. How great thou art to him that we often sing uh, is just a song of praise to God, acknowledging him for his greatness, for his might, his power, and his majesty. And he's a great king above all gods. So not only is he the intense, the powerful, the all-important God, but then he brings about just a statement of fact. He's a great king above all gods. Facts are something, fact, truth, you can use those two words interchangeably right here, are things that we need to go back to. If somebody, I liked geometry when I was in high school. I don't know if any of you remember the T-proofs that you did in geometry. I loved those because they were so logical. If this, then this. then if You could... Uh, go right through logically and come to the conclusion in the end there was no debate. It was right there, black and white, no debate whatsoever. A lot of people don't like that. And, you know, we all like to, we'll use the word debate, we like to argue, don't we, is our nature. But let's face it, when you get to a fact, it can't go down to a lower denominator than that. And when we're talking about God, and that's what David is doing here in praise and worship, and he comes back to the fact he is a great king, above all gods. The ruler. Any man may say, this is my God. I believe uh, I may be Buddhist, Hindu, Islamic, Mormon, Roman Catholic, Jehovah's Witness, Seventh-day Adventist, all these different gods that are around. But you know what? God the Creator is a great God, great king above all gods. That he's the one that has dominion and domain over every god that exists. <clears throat> There's none that exists above him. Uh, and then verses 4 and 5, he expounded on that more in his hand or the deep places of the earth. And that matter of the hand, first of all, in his hand are the deep places of the earth to realize that God is so great. And it's figurative, it's poetic here. But the whole earth if we could visualize it and try to make it a picture that man can understand, it could fit even in the palm of his hand that it were so minuscule compared to the greatness of who God is. But the hand is also the matter of the power that he is in control, that God is the one that controls every aspect. So when we come to God on Thanksgiving Day, whether uh, Civil War, World War One, World War Two, events we see going on today, God holds the earth in His hand. He holds the world in His hand. He's the one that governs the times and the days. 
He's the one that provides for every aspect. The governance, the power, the control is all his. It's not some programmed voting machine. It's some not, not some military power. It is God that holds these things in his hand. He said, are the deep places of the earth, the most deep parts that are out of our sight that we can't even begin to imagine or to see, that even that is right there within the palm of God's hand. That's how great he is. In Psalm 139, written, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell or in the grave in the lower parts, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. The mighty hand of God in his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. Uh, the, every aspect, every part. The sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. God is the creator of every aspect. He made it. He's the one that brought it into being. Have you ever stopped to think just of the intricacy of God that he created time? It didn't exist. Space, it didn't exist. Matter, it didn't exist. Life, it didn't exist. That God created every one of those things. And then he formed it into the dry land. He said, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Uh, that matter of worshiping literally means to prostrate, to depress oneself. It requires a humbling, the bowing down. We have been brought up in a setting that most of history never did. Most of history of mankind there were kings, queens, royalty, masters. They understood very well what that matter of the bowing down was and humbling before. It's something we don't fully understand in our lives, but literally that's what's being said here is that we are to bow down to humble ourselves before God. It's not a matter of seeing how loud I can get or how much I can exalt or elevate myself or how excited we can get. It's that humbling of ourselves before God <clears throat> the bowing down before him and let us kneel. And that matter of kneeling literally means to bless as an act of adoration to God. It's not, some of us have trouble getting down on our knees to kneel and there's back issues, knee issues, other kind of things. It's not. And that's appropriate when we can, but it doesn't mean, well, if you can't get down on your knees, there's something wrong. It's the heart that is kneeled before God, bowing before Him in adoration and in praise before the Lord, our Maker, the one that has made us. In Leviticus we have recorded, And I will walk among you and will be your God, and ye shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, that ye should not be their bondmen, and have broken the bands of your yoke. And made you go upright. But if you will not hearken unto me. And will not do all these commandments. There is going to be this punishment chasing that is going to take place. So we realize here 
the humbling ourselves before God as our creator. But the aspect is that we have to be obedient before there can be blessing in our lives. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Understand the power of that. He is our God. The humbling that that should bring into our hearts. It's not an accident for anybody that is in here today. It's that God has been so gracious and merciful. There's not a man that can stand before God with excuse. But have you ever stopped to think how great God is and that what He's done in your life that He has placed you in the place where the specific people He has brought into your life that were faithful with the Word of God and the working of the Spirit and the circumstances for you to have been brought to that point of conviction of heart to repent and to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. And then now to be able to say, He is our God. Not everybody can say that. And we're the people of His pasture. That phrase used to, this whole next part used to feel, People of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. It seemed to me like we should be the sheep of his pasture and the people of his hand. You know, that's a little bit of pride, I guess, on my part. We're the people of his pasture. The only person that I know of in history that ever grazed in pasture was Nebuchadnezzar. And it was a time of humbling, wasn't it? And it was during that time in his life that he was humble to come to realize who God is, that He wasn't the mighty powerful one. And as we read this, we're the people of His pasture. We're His people, but literally, He's the one that tends the flock, the one that is providing for all of the needs for that flock. So it carries with it the aspect of we're the people that God is caring for, that He's tending to, that He's providing the protection for, that He's providing those things that we need in our lives. And the sheep of His hand, coming back to that aspect that He is the one that's going to govern and to direct us. No circumstance is going to come into your life that God has not allowed. If you're where God wants you to be in obedience with the right heart, you can trust knowing God has directed and that He has allowed this into your life and that He will not leave you nor forsake you. If you're not, then you know it's a time to humble to make sure I can uh, know the blessing of God as I'm going through this time. So the blessings of God. But then notice, it seems such a contrast of all of these verses of songs of singing and giving thanks and praising and worshiping God. And then all of a sudden, look at this in verse 7. Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. All of a sudden, from this, all the matter of blessing, worshiping, praising God, to, whoa, stop, a word of warning, a word of caution, because of the heart of man, and the reality that every one of us has the potential of turning, doesn't matter how long you have been saved, you have the potential of turning and rejecting God, of being in rebelliousness against Him. So, today, if you will hear His voice, that you need to understand, no matter how close your relationship is with God right now, that you hold the potential and you need to be on guard that you do not allow your heart to become hardened, to come to a point that you begin to disregard the Word of God. What is it that allows that to happen? 
Just a little thing. Your wife flushed the toilet while you were in the shower. Your wife turned on the hot water in the kitchen sink while you were in the shower. Your younger brother poured cold water over the shower. You know, sometimes it's just the littlest thing, isn't it? The window started fogging up because I didn't take the time to heat uh, the car enough before I left, and the window started fogging up, and now I can't see, and all of a sudden it can turn my whole attitude, can't it? And if I'm not careful, I began to harden my heart, to not have the heart of thanksgiving, the heart of praise. But as he said this, he was writing for all generations, and we have the account given to us, but it was something that was taught very dearly, very closely for the Israelite children. He took it in a very specific situation. Harden not your heart as in the provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. And there are two words that are used here that the Jew that knew God's word would have clearly understood. When he said, as in the provocation, now we think of that, and that's literally it's a quarrel, it's a fight, it's an argument, something that's going on. Uh, but with God, or in the day of temptation, time of trial or testing when they were in the wilderness, I think, well, that's while they're going through the wilderness and God was bringing all these trials in. No, this brought it back to a very specific incident in Jewish history that they would have understood. We won't turn back there because of time. If you want to jot down Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7, we're given the account of the time that the children of Israel began to grumble because there was no water as they were in the wilderness. And uh, the words that were used there in Exodus 17, verse 7, and he called the name of the place where they were grumbling and complaining, Massa and Meribah, because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, The Lord is the Lord among us or not. The word Massa and the word Meribah are the come from the same words as provocation and temptation. That they had brought been brought to this time of testing, and they began to cry, grumble and complain. And the reality is, every one of us, we need to be careful that we don't harden our hearts as they did, because we're going to come to times that we can begin to grumble, to strive with God, or to complain in the exact same way. And then he gave a little bit more of the account of the history there. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Notice the result. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. We're not going to go into the whole account of the history there. But the reason I wanted to include that is how critical and how important it is for us to be teaching history. The history of God's Word, but also our more recent history that's been since God's Word has been completed that we have understanding because it keeps turning us back to God. If we're learning history, it's going to keep turning us back to God as the one that's in control and the one that we need to be relying on as we go through changing times and desperate times. Hebrews 3, uh, the author quoted from Psalm 95, but in verses 12 and 13, after he was talking about the matter of uh, the warning that was given that we just looked at, he said, take heed, brethren. This is written to us. Take heed, brethren, 
lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We need to realize we need to be worshiping God with singing, with thanksgiving, with praise. But also we need to be warning with history, teaching the history, understanding what God has done, and then the author, and we're not going to go, the Holy Spirit is the author of the book of Hebrews. We're just going to go that far this morning. But the Holy Spirit used it after he gave this psalm, the closing of that psalm, as a warning to us that we need to be careful, we need to be cautious. And notice what it was that we are to exhort one another daily, while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We're coming into Thanksgiving season, and we want to have our hearts prepared to worship God and to give. And it is appropriate that we have special times, special days set aside in a special way. Every day should be a day of Thanksgiving for us, but also to equip us and to prepare us for every other day to have a thankful heart. We're entering a different Thanksgiving than we've ever had before. Jennifer told me that uh, Belk is trying to get people to do all their shopping online before early. It's not all the stuff of be there midnight, Thanksgiving night, be there 5 o'clock Friday morning for the big sales. There's that push away. They're saying, well, you shouldn't meet together with families. People are feeling isolated. Even within churches, people are feeling isolated. And as we're celebrating Thanksgiving, it ought not to be diminished one iota. But more importantly, how is your heart before God? Are you prepared to obey the command, to hear the command? O come, let us sing unto the Lord. O come, let us make a joyful noise. O come, let us worship. Is your heart prepared for that today? Is there anything in your life that you know that's hindering that ability to be able to do so? If there is, I would plead with you. Exhort one another daily. Well, it's called today. Let's see any of you be hardened. If you're aware of something today and you don't deal with it today, you've taken the first step toward hardening your heart even more toward God. A dangerous, dangerous path to go on. I've broken shovel blades trying to dig good Carolina clay. It can be so hard. But you know what? Your heart can become, heart can become just that hardened too if you're not careful. So is there anything that you're aware of right now that you need to take care of that you can truly worship God during this time? Secondly, have you purposed in your heart that you really want to study to know God's word enough to know how, what honors God in our worship and our praise and to seek to do it in that way instead of the way the world would offer? A lot of people are going to struggle Thanksgiving this year because they're not going to be able to be lined up at the Rose Parade. They're not going to be one of the gazillions sitting in the stands for some bowl game or uh, football game going on uh, perpetually through the long weekend, that they're going to be isolated with their families. And that's going to cause depression for them and discouragement for them. You know, that's an indication. How is your heart prepared to worship God? Let's understand what God's Word says and prepare our hearts in that way. And then thirdly, let's desire to have an understanding of God's Word, the history, because it gives us warning as well as instruction. And let's also... And this is a challenge that goes beyond that. 
seek to learn more of our true history and be diligent as a church family and instruct in what is the history of the heritage that we have uh, before it's completely blotted out that others can't see. Let's pray. I'm going to ask Nathan to come lead us in the invitation.